Hello and welcome to Ultrasounds, the podcast brought to you by OBGYN Delivered. I'm Rachel Clark. And I'm Brittany Gates. And we are the medical student hosts for this episode. Today we will be discussing abortion care in a post-Roe world with Dr. Lisa Harris. Dr. Lisa Harris, MD, PhD, is the F. Wallace and Janet Jeffries Collegiate Professor of Reproductive Health and Professor and Associate Chair in University of Michigan's Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology. She is also a professor of women's and gender studies in U of M's College of Literature, Science, and the Arts. She directs U of M's fellowship in complex family planning, as well as the undergraduate health sciences scholars program. After college and medical school at Harvard University, Dr. Harris completed residency at University of California, San Francisco. Because so many issues in reproductive health have to do as much with culture and politics as with biomedical sciences, she went on to earn a PhD in American culture. She's now an active clinician, teacher, and researcher. Her clinical work focuses on miscarriage and family planning. She teaches across disciplines and schools at U of M. Her research is similarly interdisciplinary, exploring abortion stigma, experiences of abortion care providers, race and social class stratification of reproduction, and the role of doctors' voices in shifting culture for abortion. She is the recipient of a variety of awards, including the Association of Reproductive Health Professionals Preserving Core Values in Science Award and the Society of Family Planning's Outstanding Researcher Award. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Harris. We have a lot to cover, so let's go ahead and get started. Great. Thanks for having me. With a leaked draft opinion in the Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization case, it appears Roe v. Wade is likely going to be overturned, which would leave decisions about the legality of abortion to the states. Can you give us a brief overview of what this might look like for patients across the country? Thank you for asking that question, because ultimately that's what matters, which which is how patients will experience this. So why don't I start here in Michigan, since people who live here are going to feel some of the most, potentially some of the most drastic effects of this, and then we can think um, more across the country. But in Michigan, We have a law on the books from 1931 that says that abortion is illegal. It's a felony. It's a criminal offense. And it's only permitted to preserve the life of the pregnant person. Pregnant woman is what it says in the law. And that law is actually active and on the books. The reason that abortion is legal in Michigan currently is because of Roe v. Wade. Roe v. Wade says that, yes, it's okay for the state to have an interest in potential life in the fetus, But that interest can't outweigh the pregnant woman's liberty and health. And between Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey, the the rights that a person has when they're pregnant are are pretty clearly articulated. So without Roe, there is nothing to stop enforcement of Michigan's 1931 law. So our law may come into effect immediately. And that's there are a handful of other states that have that exact situation as well, where there's already a law criminalizing abortion in the state. And in those states, abortion could become illegal as soon as the Supreme Court decision is handed down, if indeed the final decision overturns Roe. And then there are another set of states that don't currently criminalize abortion, but have what's called a trigger law ready to go so that if Roe were to be overturned, then um, abortion would become illegal. And there's yet another group of states that don't have either of those situations right now, but are expected to pass a law banning abortion should Roe be overturned. So that's kind of the the nation at a glance. More than half of states would be poised to ban abortion and remaining states, some don't say much at all about abortion. And then there are a handful of states that have proactively 
set out to protect abortion rights. So those will be the states in which patients from Michigan and neighboring states and other states where there'll be a ban would go. Great. Thank you for that background to kind of set the tone. Sure. So we obviously know that losing abortion access will impact women and people as individuals, but Mm -hmm. we're curious about kind of what implications this might have for the broader healthcare system. Yeah, it's such an interesting question. And I think it's something that we haven't been talking about quite enough. Abortion tends to be configured just as a political issue or a partisan issue or a polarizing issue that divides people and people just want to avoid it at all costs. And because of that, the fact that it's a healthcare issue sometimes is is not apparent, even to healthcare providers. But it is a healthcare issue. And because one of my jobs as an OBGYN is to care for people and to not abandon people, accompany people in whatever is going on in their reproductive lives, that's the level that I'm thinking about abortion on as a health and healthcare issue. So it will affect health systems in multiple ways. Again, what's most important is how it's going to affect patients. So I'm going to talk from that perspective, but you'll see between the lines and sometimes explicitly the impact for healthcare systems. So, um, you know, there, there will in Michigan be a small subset of patients we can continue to care for whose abortions would be quote unquote life-saving. It's a little bit unclear what that means exactly. Certainly for people who are, you know, dying in the ICU and we end a pregnancy to try and save them, that would be a life-saving abortion. And that is a situation we do find ourselves in here at University of Michigan because we're a tertiary care center. Um, And sometimes there are pregnancy complications like sepsis in the setting of chorioamnionitis or um, preterm rupture, pre-viable preterm rupture of membranes where ending the pregnancy can also be life-saving. But outside of those situations, it's hard to know what it means. How likely does someone need to be able to die and how imminently would they need to die? So one... um, effect for both patients and health systems is uncertainty. You know, how do we figure this out and who figures it out and how do we create policy around determining that? So that's an impact that both patients and healthcare systems will feel. And then most patients though would not qualify for an abortion in Michigan's law for it being a life-saving measure. And so for them, there's really just three options that patients will need to work with, and all of them will affect healthcare systems. One is leaving the state to end their pregnancy. Two is to self-manage their abortion. So obtain medications that could be used to end a pregnancy and use them to end their own pregnancy, take things into their own hand, hands. And the third would be to give birth. And all of those things are going to obviously impact our patients and their families, and they're going to impact healthcare systems. And that's what we need to be preparing for. And there are, you know, I can go into more detail in each of those things, but uh, each one has profound healthcare system impact that we need to be thinking about. Yeah, that would actually be great if you could go into a little more detail about how self-managed abortions might kind of show up in the healthcare system, as well as this just more pregnancies continuing. Sure. Yeah. Well, even, even the third category of leaving the state, there's going to be important roles for healthcare systems because we may need to be in the position of referring. It's unclear if the law will allow us to refer, but patients may feel quite lost or abandoned if we don't take on that role. Patients um, may need ultrasounds to confirm they have an intrauterine pregnancy and the duration of the pregnancy. They may need blood work, especially if they have a history of anemia or other issues. And many may need subspecialist care 
in order to be able to safely proceed with care when they arrive in another state. So, you know, for example, patients on blood thinners or patients with bleeding disorders or patients with chronic hypertension or seizure disorders, when they arrive somewhere else, especially because they're going to be traveling a great distance, it's going to be important that they are ready and safe to have their procedure and not have a medical issue discovered that would get in the way of having care once they arrive. So all of those things are, are roles that health systems may play, even when people leave the state for care. And in terms of the other issues, self-managed abortion, it'll be important that especially primary care doctors and emergency physicians know how to recognize, you know, know what the normal course of a self-managed abortion with medications is and know when a patient just needs reassurance that yes, her pregnancy has ended and she is safe and did not have any problems. It's rare to have problems when mifepristone and mesoprostol are used because we have a lot of experience with those more than 20 years uh, experience with people having abortions at home when they get the medications in a doctor's office. The difference here is that the medications would be self-sourced. So they would be ordered online or mail ordered. Um, and that's how people would obtain the medications. But the process itself would be the same as what currently happens when people see a healthcare provider for the medications. But emergency departments and other primary care doctors will need to know when a medication abortion is complete. They'll need to be able to provide resources and referrals if the medications don't work. That's unusual, but it can happen. And um, there will be people undoubtedly who don't have access to safe medications and may use unsafe methods that will make things feel like the pre-Roe versus Wade days when a lot of women had severe consequences and even died from the consequences of unsafe abortion. Sepsis, you know, injury or damage to an internal organ, uh, being poisoned from a toxic or corrosive substance that was used. I hope that will be the minority, the very small minority of cases that most people who cannot leave the state and do want to end their pregnancy will find a way to safe self-managed abortion. But as in everything, not everyone has access, not everyone gets their needs met. And I do fear that some people will uh, have complications, serious complications potentially from self-managed abortion. In terms of birth, um, we don't really know exactly who will be able to find their way out of state. In Michigan, the Guttmacher Institute estimates that the average travel distance one way to obtain abortion care, if there is a ban, will go from under 20 miles to more than 260 miles. That will be out of reach for a lot of people. A lot of people may not want to take the legal risks of self-managing their own abortion and they will give birth, but we don't know exactly those fractions. The lowest estimate I've seen of, of the percent of women that would give birth who uh, in, under different circumstances would have ended their pregnancy the lowest number I've seen is 18%. The highest number I've seen is 56 or 57%. And in Michigan, that works out to anywhere from a 7 or 8% increase in the birth rate to a 17 or 18% increase. So I don't think our labor and delivery and maternity care infrastructure is set up to accommodate a surge like that. So it'll be really important that we do careful planning and coordinating across the state. I'm sure you're aware we already have maternity care deserts. So this will be a real issue. And Again, not just for people who are ending their pregnancy, but for any birthing person who may have trouble uh, finding maternity care. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely think those implications are not as often in the conversation. I did have one question mm -hmm. about kind of traveling for abortion care. Sure. Because I know that currently happens yeah. already. Yeah. So I guess I'm just curious how 
this legality things will change kind of what that looks like? Well, I can't say that I, I can't really speak to who leaves Michigan for care because I don't see them. I can't think of a time where I've needed to refer someone out of state, except to say they were moving or they were, you know, going to be away. So uh, we do see people from other states. So we see people from Texas. We see people from Ohio and Indiana. Um, so that's the piece that I can speak to the most. So there already are places where people have difficulty accessing care. And for many of them, Michigan is a place where they come. But that is not the situation we're planning for now. Now, that could change if, you know, I'm sure you are aware there are a couple of legal efforts to block enforcement of our law. And there is a coalition collecting signatures currently for a ballot initiative for the November ballot. And if that passes, abortion would be explicitly protected in Michigan. And then it may be the case that we are a state that people come to. Uh, because when you look at the map, I don't know if you, you've had a look, but Michigan, Ohio, Indiana, Missouri are all states that may lose care if Roe is overturned. Um, and so patients from all of those places will be looking for care elsewhere. Yeah, that's definitely something important to think about. This isn't just about like one state or like just Michigan, that it's really quite the coalition of states like kind of around us. Yeah, the impact will be big. Yeah. And I understand that abortion is a really hard issue for many people to think about and talk about. And it requires us to recognize two things at the same time that seem kind of opposite, right? That abortion means a baby won't be born and that can feel really weighty. And at the same time, not having abortion means that a person doesn't get to determine the course of their life and their family's life. And I'm sure you know, most people who are ending a pregnancy are already mothers, parents. So it's really hard to hold both of those ideas. They're both big ideas. They're both really important and it can be hard to recognize that. And um, that's why it's a hard issue. And that's why I've been trying to put a little bit of light on the, the health and healthcare issue that it is. Again, we tend to think of it just as politics and you have to pick one side or the other, but my patients don't see it that way. My patients see this as a lived experience and something that happens in the context of their life and their family's life. And healthcare providers really have windows into the ways in which it's a health and healthcare issue. And I wish we could spend more time on that level on just acknowledging and holding the idea that, yeah, this is hard and complicated, but it doesn't mean that we have to respond to it by making it unavailable. Absolutely. So I know earlier you mentioned access for different individuals being different. Do you think certain groups of people will be disproportionately affected by losing abortion access? And do you know what this will look like? It's absolutely clear that different people and different groups will be affected differently by this ban. As in everything, there's no part of life or health or healthcare where things are experienced in equal or just ways. And specifically in the case of abortion, currently it's people with the fewest resources who in this country, because of the intersection of inequity and racism, are disproportionately people of color. That's who disproportionately faces unintended pregnancies and seeks abortion care. So the loss of abortion care is also disproportionately going to affect the same group. Three quarters of people who seek abortion care in the U.S., and again, this is Guttmacher Institute data, live under the federal poverty line or live one to two within one to two times that, that level. So most people are living on very low incomes or in poverty, and they're going to disproportionately feel the impact of a ban 
because that's who is seeking abortion care, but also because they're going to have the fewest resources to leave the state. I'm not so worried about people with lots of family support and lots of resources because they will be able to get in a car and pay for gas and afford childcare and perhaps come back to a stable job after and get care or, or get on an airplane. But there are many people who've never been on a plane before and who've never left the state and who don't have the resources to do those things. And, and that's who I worry about the most. And when I think about birth as well and maternal mortality, I mean, abortion is much, much safer than giving birth. A lot of people don't realize that because we still have those stereotypes from pre-row days about the dangers of abortion. In reality, though, in contemporary times, abortion is 30 to is 50 to 130 times less likely to result in the death of a person than birth is. I mean, they're just not even on the same kind of scale of, of risk that someone assumes. And so maternal, maternal mortality will, will go up when people don't have access to abortion simply because more people are giving birth and birth is riskier than abortion. That effect though won't be experienced equally because as I'm sure you know, we also have terrible maternal mortality disparities in this country and in Michigan specifically. Sadly, indigenous women and black women are two to three times more likely to die in the setting of childbirth than a white counterpart. And that's because of the way that inequity and racism all intersect in health and healthcare. And so, yes, yeah, so that risk will not be experienced equally. So in addition to maternal mortality being different, I think legal risks to people will also be different. So, you know, even though people will self-manage abortion, there, there are legal consequences of that potentially. It, it will be illegal to do that for potentially for the people who are having an abortion and for anyone who helps them. And there's a very clear history in, in this country, as I don't need, sure I don't need to remind you of, of reporting and detention and imprisonment of people of color out of proportion to their white counterparts. And I expect that we would see that in this case as well. And in fact, Lynn Paltrow and her colleagues at National Advocates for Pregnant Women have, really, have documented that when arrests of people have, happen during pregnancy, it's nearly exclusively Black women women of color, people who are poor, who are arrested. So those are some of the ways this will not impact everyone equally. Yeah, well, thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Harris. Was there any important takeaways that you would like to leave us with? I think the important takeaways are that, of course, abortion is an issue of rights and whether people who can become pregnant have the same rights as they do when they're not pregnant or as people who can't become pregnant what I want to make clear is that this gets depicted so much as a political issue, a contested political issue, and not as an actual experience or not as a healthcare issue. And if people are not thinking of this as a healthcare issue, they may not be getting prepared. Health systems may not be getting prepared in the ways that they need to. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. We really appreciate you taking the time and sharing your insight. Thank you. I'm grateful for the opportunity. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to this episode on abortion care in a post-Roe world. You can subscribe to Ultrasounds wherever you get your podcasts. For more special topics episodes like this one or high-yield topic reviews, you can also follow us on Instagram or Twitter at OBGYN underscore delivered. Or find more topic review outlines and free question banks at our website, www.obgyndelivered.com. And always remember, we put in the labor so you can deliver.